0: humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Let us pray. Almighty God, all of our hearts are open to you. You know our desires. You know our thoughts. There's nothing secret or hidden from you. And so now we pray that you would cleanse our thoughts and hearts by your Holy Spirit so that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name this day. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our first hymn is number 97. We praise you, O God, our creator, redeemer. scripture says, O Lord, be gracious to us, for we have sinned against you. Let us pray together the prayer printed in the bulletin. O gracious and faithful and condescending God, God of peace, Father of mercy, God of all comfort, we confess before you the evil of our hearts. We acknowledge that we are too inclined toward anger, jealousy, and revenge, to ambition and pride which often give rise to discord and bitter feelings between others and us. Too often have we thus both offended and grieved you, O long-suffering Father. Forgive us the sin and permit us to partake of the blessing you have promised the peacemakers, who shall be called the children of God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I declare to you as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ that all those who have faith in Jesus Christ and do repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. And this is the good news of the gospel. Together we say, praise be to God. Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And our Lord taught his disciples, if anyone would follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We give up everything to follow Jesus Christ. We give up our houses and cars, our security and money and comfort, our beloved families, and yes, even our own lives. We don't necessarily see this in, in uh, we don't give these things up um, automatically right away, but we learn that we must break our attachments with them if those attachments are greater than our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Lord, and we love him and follow him and do not want to place anything above him, and so throughout our lives, we learn that we must break from those things and only follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Our greatest love and devotion is to Jesus Christ. Christ gave himself for us, and consequently, we give up everything for him. So when our life and our possessions are at stake, and sometimes they are at stake in our Christian life, then we give them up for the sake of Jesus Christ rather than keep them. If the choice is between our possessions or something that we strongly want in our lives and following Jesus Christ, we give up those things and we follow Jesus Christ. In our insecurity and pride and unbelief, we want to hold on to ourselves and the things that are most dear to us. But Christ draws us to himself, and he brings us to the cross. Our Lord has called us to a new life in this world, a world that he redeems, where we are stewards of what rightly belongs to God and of the things that he has created. And so we are not to claim them for ourselves. We are to use them in service to Christ. And if push comes to shove, we give them up in order to follow Jesus Christ. For this is God's will for us in Jesus Christ, and let us say together, Amen. Our hymn is number 246, Man of Sorrows, What a Name. Amen. worship, we bring our petitions to our Heavenly Father, and we're not just praying for ourselves, we're praying for others in need in the congregation, in the church, and in this world. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Blessed Lord, our Heavenly Father, to you we come with our thanksgiving and petitions. We thank you for keeping us safe and providing for our needs. You have attended to us in ways beyond our knowing. The scripture makes us clear when it says, you know the number of, our, of hairs on our head, and we, none of us know what that number is. You know us in great detail and in infinite um, perfection. You are supervi- supervising all the things that befall us, and no harm or mistreatment or trouble is beyond your redemptive work. We thank you that we are under your care through Jesus Christ and that you are with us by your Holy Spirit. We pray now for those who rule over us. May they respect all people as human beings because you've made us all in your image. May the authority of our leaders be an extension of your protection of us. And if it isn't, we pray that you would bring an end to poor leadership and government. And may your church be preserved in this sinful generation so that when your church is persecuted and tested and pressured to conform, we would remain faithful to Jesus Christ and continue to bear witness to him. We do pray for good social policies, and we ask you to hear our prayers for Joe Biden, our president, Debbie Stabenow, Gary Peters, our representatives, Gretchen Whitmer, our governor, the judges, and the Supreme Court who have important cases before them. We also pray for justice for the people who are abused and used in sex trafficking and promiscuity, And also we pray for an end to shootings in our nation. Hear our prayers. Hear our prayers for the missionaries of the church and all those who were sent out to serve you in this country and in other lands. Send forth your spirit so that the preaching and teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ would bring about the growth of the church in every place in this world. And may these workers also assist the churches that are already established. We pray for our missionaries here, Ohakobor and Mike McCabe and Sam Fulta, along with their families. Grant them Christian faith and hope and love in their work. We pray you'd protect them. Keep them from being hindered by the authorities in those lands. And may the people they teach grow and mature in Christ. Hear our prayers for our missionaries. Our Father, look upon us gathered here today with your mercy and grace for our weaknesses and infirmities, our shortcomings, and our ignorance. Give us grace that we might be healed and be wise and strong. Make us to see past ourselves to your glorious redemption in Christ, and so know you and that all things are brought together in Christ. Bless us each to serve you in our works so that we may integrate our faith in Christ with our lives. And may we live together in Christ's peace and encouragement for each other through the week. Strengthen the faith and love of those who are living with sickness and hardship, grief, or some kind of trouble. We humbly pray you to guide us by your Holy Spirit, that in all the cares and occupations of life, we may not forget you, but we may always serve you and know that you are our Savior in an active way. Here are our prayers for those in need for Frida and Jeff and Eduardo, for our college students, for Leah and Fawn, for the Roberts family and Tammy's family, for Hope and our friends, Becky and Tom, Phil, Karen, Angie, Jane, Bob, and others we name to you in silence. Fortify this church to be witnesses to Jesus Christ here in this community. And may we meet people and talk with them about Christ, who is the Savior of the world. Clothe us in the new life of Christ so that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge of the gospel and to your mercy for us in Jesus Christ. To you we pray, Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.
1: Please be seated. And as we open God's word together, let us pray for uh, illumination as we read it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for calling us here this morning and for giving us an opportunity to freely gather in your name and to worship you and to learn about you. We know that all understanding of uh, The Bible comes from your spirit, and so we pray that by your spirit you would open our hearts and minds to uh, understand what we hear, and to truly believe it, and that you would edify our lives um, through this reading in the days and weeks to come. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Our Old Testament reading comes from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Our Psalter response is from Psalm twenty-five. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Let my enemies Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in, his, in the way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Our epistle reading comes from uh, the letter to the Philippians, chapter 2. Verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Finally, our Gospel reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 35 through 40. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. The word of the Lord.
0: We live in a rights based society. What those rights are based on is disputed. Nevertheless, people in our society are quick to respond when they think their rights have been violated. 175 years ago, the Putnam's monthly magazine ran an article in which the author responded to the issue of women's rights and said, the new movement for social reform and even for political reform needs to be countered with men's rights. This demand was the background for the men's rights movement that really came into uh, its, its full force in the 1970s. And it was a reaction to the feminist movement that was catching fire in those years in the 1970s. The men's rights movement focused on the oppression of men. The movement featured testimonies from men who said they were discriminated against because they were male. There was also a demand for father's rights, especially with child custody and um, alimony and divorce. What you had in the 1970s were two large-scale rights movements, one for men's rights and the other for women's rights. When the United Nations passed the Universal Declaration of Human Rights in 1948, there began to be a global recognition that human beings possess certain rights. Rights-based approach work, uh, works to shift the paradigm away from charity and toward moral, the moral duty that's imposed on the world through the international consensus of human rights. So it moved, it was trying to move away from the whole idea of welfare and charity and uh, just giving to people who were in need and instead moving to a a rights approach and a moral duty to help people um, who need help. Now today it's quite common to hear people or or groups of people demand certain rights and want to assert them over others. There's a big debate right now in the public schools about what rights children have and what rights parents have, and that's not even to mention what rights the teachers have. Rights are asserted also in the church. It's not just happening out there in the secular world. It's happening in the church. Kenneth Copeland says, know your covenantal rights. Now, he is not Reformed, and I don't think he uh, would work out this idea of covenant the same way we would in the Reformed churches, but he's uh, using our language And he's saying that we have covenantal rights. Anointed Word Ministries posts on its website, demand your rights. It tells us that the word ask in the New Testament comes from the Greek word to demand. And so the translation of John chapter 16, verse 24, which tells us that Jesus said, Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he shall give it to you, really ought to read, Whatever you shall demand the Father in my name, He shall give it to you. And even Reformed churches fight over rights. In some denominations, it's a question of who has the right to the property of a church when a local church wants to move into a different denomination. And there are huge fights about that, even in Presbyterian and Reformed churches. Individual Reformed Christians can also be found who argue for their rights as well. Now, our Old Testament lesson is about trying to grasp rights that we don't have. Adam and Eve fall into sin in Genesis chapter 3. It's that story of the fall of humanity into sin. And in that story, there's a conversation with the beguiling serpent and the woman about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and God's command not to eat of that tree lest they die. And the serpent said, you shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. After this conversation, the first man and woman both took hold of the fruit in their hands and they tried to grasp something that was not theirs to have. The Apostle Paul appeals to the church to be humble with each other and then he sets before us Jesus Christ. Prior to our text this morning, Paul spoke of the unity of the church. That was the sermon for the, the lesson for the sermon last week. And at the end of that, Passage: The apostle says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's in chapter 2, verse 3. Then he exhorts the church, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, verse 4. But he doesn't just tell the Christians to be humble and to regard others more than themselves, which would be strictly moralistic like a coach emboldening his team okay team we have to work together and that takes humility if we're going to have a great season you must think about each other not yourself it's not about you trying to make yourself great it's about doing everything you can so your teammates look great go on you can do it what is our team word humility and of course they chant it what do we want to have humility now let's go that's moralistic Inspiring, maybe, but moralistic. The Apostle Paul is not giving the church a pep talk on counting others more significant than yourselves. So listen to verse 5. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Paul tells the church their humility comes from being joined with Jesus Christ, being in Jesus Christ. They participate in the Holy Spirit, who links them to Jesus Christ. Paul actually refers to that in verse 1 of the chapter. He refers to their participation in the Spirit, and then he talks about how they are encouraged or strengthened in Christ, and that's also mentioned in verse 1, and that word encouragement can also mean strengthening. The Christians are humble because they're united in Jesus Christ. Now, if the church's humility comes from Jesus Christ then we need to understand Jesus' humility, right? And that's exactly what Paul does. He launches into what very well may have been an early hymn in the church, a hymn in the early church, a hymn that would have preexisted or been concurrent with this letter to the Philippians. And it's not for sure, but it seems like Paul may have taken this hymn and he's using it for his purposes in the letter. Verses 6 through 11. To express the humility of Jesus Christ, he uses this hymn. It functions kind of like what he does in 1 Corinthians 13, where he's talking about a better way than than the fights the church was having about spiritual gifts. And he talks about the way of love, and then he has what amounts to almost a hymn, uh, chapter 13, a hymn on love. Or it's like the creed that he uses in 1 Timothy chapter 3 to summarize the mystery of godliness, the, the basic faith that we have as Christians. So he does the same thing in Philippians 2, he sets out the humility of Jesus Christ. And this hymn has a beginning, a middle, and an end. The beginning is verses 6 through 7a, the first part of verse 7, and it's it's a bit ambiguous. Christ Jesus, it says, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And what does it mean when it says in the form of God, equality with God, and grasped? What is clear is that the hymn begins with Christ before he became man. So it's talking about the pre-existent Christ, Christ before the incarnation. Before he became man, he was divine with God. The Gospel of John puts it this way, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word, of course, referring to Jesus Christ. Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, refers to Jesus Christ before creation and says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Now later, the church would theologically work this out in its creeds and confess that before he became man, Jesus Christ was, and we say this in the Nicene Creed, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. But here in Philippians, all Philippians says is that he was in the form of God. In the context of Philippians, that form has to do with rank and authority, Christ, before he became man, ranked with God, and he had the authority of God. The beginning of the hymn goes on and says that Christ Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. It's best to take equal with God as expanding on in the form of God. So Christ being in the form of God was equal with God. Before he became man, Christ was not inferior to God. The New Testament makes clear that there was a relationship between God the Father and the Son, the Son who is Jesus Christ, but it was not one of superiority and inferiority. Christ was not less than God, he was equal with God. And again, later the church would work this out in its creeds, confessing that Christ shared the same substance as the Father. The Council at Chalcedon in 451 AD said that Christ was consubstantial with the Father. We actually have a hymn that we sing on Trinity Sunday with uh, that word in it. You know, that's, that's tough to find a hymn that has a word, consubstantial, but an important theological word. In Philippians, it's, it is that Christ shared the same status and authority and rights of God. In other words, he had what God the Father had. He was equal with the Father. The beginning of the hymn goes on. Christ did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The preexistent Christ did not consider his divine, a stat, his divine status, authority, and rights as some kind of prize to be clutched. He did not think he should grasp it tightly like an Olympic runner who has a gold medal. Here, there is a sharp contrast with Adam who sinned against God. Adam and Eve did not have the divine knowledge of the tree of good and evil. They reached out and tried to grasp what was not theirs. Christ did have the form of God and equality with God, but he didn't consider it something to clutch for himself. Christ did not cling to his status and authority, although it was his by right. So there's a sharp contrast here between Jesus Christ and Adam and Eve. Now the middle of the hymn is the second part of verse 7, 7b through verse 8, and it tells of Christ becoming man. It says, Christ took the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He chose to move from his divine rank, privilege, and rights to become a man. In terms of authority, it was a movement from ruler to servant. In terms of status, it was a move from the creator to the creature. And in terms of rights, it was a move from highest honor to lowliness, mere lowliness. Christ became man, but he didn't become some kind of abstract, ideal form of man. He did not just take on human nature. Christ became man in the common life of sinful humanity. He took up our sinful humanity. Romans chapter 8, verse 3 says that by God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh... And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Unless Christ shared all the conditions of our human bondage to sin and death, he could not have broken it. So Christ shared in our humanity that ends in death for the wages of sin. Sin cuts man off from God, and God passed sentence on sin. You must surely die. Christ identified himself with man so totally that he accepted death on the cross which was an execution for criminals. He accepted participation in mankind's slavery to sin and death and the law. Now, the best of later Christian theology would work out Christ's divinity and his humanity by saying he was truly God and truly man. When Jesus Christ chose to become man, he did not abdicate his divinity and become man, nor did his divinity and his humanity sit side by side with each other, and he switched back and forth between them. Rather, when Christ became man, he joined our humanity to himself in such a way that he was a single subject, we would say person. Um, But the idea in the Christian theology is more a subject, a a personal subject. But in the context of Philippians, Christ moved from his high-rank authority and rights with God to the slavery, the bondage of sinful humanity. And the end of the hymn speaks of Christ being highly honored. It's verses 9 through 11. It says, Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The heavenly Christ returns to the high dignity that he had at the beginning. God highly exalted him because he fulfilled God's plan of salvation. By becoming man and joining himself with sinful humanity, he did what could otherwise not be done. He made it possible for us to be saved and have eternal life with God. The difference between his humbling himself and his return to his high dignity is that he returns as Christ who became man. Christ made common cause with us and returns as our representative. And here's what G.B. Caird says, what Adam lost by grabbing for it Christ has gained for himself and for others. Now, later theology would reflect on the great arc, and I've used that uh, metaphor, that image a lot in, in classes I've taught and in other sermons. But the great arc of Christ starting high in the heavens with his equality with God and then descending to earth by humbling himself and becoming man and then rising back up to heaven in his exaltation. It's this great giant arc swing. When I use that metaphor, I always think of a swing in Leota, Kansas. That the, the, the structure for the swing was probably uh, getting close to the bottom of the beams over here. And the chain was attached to the top. This is in the park, the city park. And then the, the uh, seat on the bottom. And people would sit on it and you'd have to pump your legs and really move it. Now the difference with that swing, it was huge. It was enormous. It was scary because it swung way out and way back. But where does it start? Starts down here. Jesus' swing starts in heaven, comes down and goes back. Here, in the context of Philippians, Christ's exaltation is about his rank, authority, and rights. And the hymn says that God bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And the name Lord is not just a title, he is raised up to his rank and authority. As Savior and Lord. So, in other words, all of the cosmic powers are subject to Him, and Paul mentions them here in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That includes the angelic rulers in heaven as well as those who live on earth and the dead in Hades under the earth. They all are brought into submission to Jesus Christ. And Paul is alluding, actually pulling a verse from Isaiah here. To me, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. And then he applies that um, from the, it's it's the Lord saying that in Isaiah. And Paul applies that to Jesus Christ. To Jesus Christ belongs the honor and the glory. Don't overlook what's happened here. God exalted the one who was equal with God and yet who did not cling to his status, authority, and rights. The one who humbled himself by becoming man in the lowly, sinful condition is exalted. Jesus Christ humbled himself for us, and God honored his humility. This is the kind of humility we have in Christ. The Apostle Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's yours in Christ Jesus. Now, do not hear the first part of that line, have this mind among yourselves, without hearing the second part, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is Christian humility. This is humility that counts others as more significant than yourself. This is humility that looks not only to one's own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's something that we have from being joined with Jesus Christ. The kind of humility that God honors comes from being in fellowship with Christ in the Holy Spirit. Being in Christ transforms our disposition, which is sort of the word, it's maybe a better translation of the word that Paul uses that's mind or attitude, but it's really the whole person, Um, and Jesus Christ transforms that mind or attitude or disposition that we have. There's something called the Lake Wobegon effect. And if any of you remember Garrison Keillor's radio show, you know that Lake Wobegon was this fictional town where all the women are strong, all the men are good looking, and all the children are above average. Studies have been done that ask ordinary people to describe themselves. And when they do, they list many positive qualities and few, if any, negative qualities. There's a uh, writer Thomas Gilovich, he gives an example. One million high school seniors were surveyed. Seventy percent thought that they were above average in leadership ability. And only two percent thought that they were below average. In terms of ability to get along with others, nearly all students thought that they were above average. Sixty percent thought that they were in the top ten percent, and twenty-five percent thought that they were in the top one percent. Now these self-assessments were obviously wildly out of step with the facts. It's impossible for 25% to be the one top 1%, right? Now we all do this. For example, 90% of us think that we're better above average drivers. 94% of university professors think they're better than average at their jobs. And I think if you talk to other people in their jobs, they probably think they're above average as well. College students generally believe that they're more likely than their peers to graduate at the top of their class, earn a big salary, enjoy their work, win awards, and produce gifted children. College students also believe that they are less likely than others to get fired, to get divorced, behave unethically, have cancer, suffer from depression, or have a heart attack. In short, the Lake Wobegon effect is is when we think we are above average than others. We enhance how we think about ourselves. Studies show that when ordinary people do something wrong, like break a promise or attack someone or even commit a murder, they fold it into a story that denies or at least diminishes their guilt. And a very good example of this is Stephen King, some comments he made uh, about the villain in his novel Misery. And that was turned into a movie. Uh, maybe some of you have seen it. But this is what he says about his, his uh, novel, the Misery. Annie Wilkes, the nurse who holds Paul Sheldon prison in the story, Misery, may seem psychopathic to us. But it's important to remember that she seems perfectly sane and reasonable to herself. Heroic, in fact. A beleaguered woman trying to survive in a hostile world filled with cock a doodle brats. Psychologists give explanations for why we do this, but the bottom line is that, generally speaking, we think we're better than we are and that we're better than most other people. But not everyone thinks they're better than average. There are those who think they're worse than average. Typically, that's how people struggling with depression think about themselves, that they're not gifted, they're not better-looking, they're not smarter than average or generally better people and so on. And if they take a survey like the one that I mentioned before, they would list more negative qualities than positive ones. It's a script is what we have here. We have a script going on that we follow in this world about being better and being worse and most of us think that we're better than average and not the worst. Well, Jesus Christ rips the script He looked to our interests rather than to his own. Christ humbled himself in order to save lowly sinners who think they're better than they are. And God exalted him. Jesus is the lowly one and the best one. And by doing this, he transforms the whole better and worse thing that we do with ourselves and with each other. We don't have to think ourselves more highly than others in order to feel good about ourselves or be strong in the world. We don't have to think ourselves worse because we don't measure up to others. You see, Jesus turns the whole disposition upside down, turns it inside out. He relieves us from the impossible burden of being better than others. I don't need to be. Jesus Christ, who was equal with God, became lowly man in the sinful world, And he's the one with the highest honor. Not us, not me. Joined with Jesus Christ by faith and by baptism, he frees us from that whole better-than-you way of thinking. With faith in Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can count ourselves, we can count others as better than ourselves, and we can seek to bless them. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have given your only Son to be for us the sacrifice for sin and also an example of the life of humility. Give us grace to receive, thankfully, the fruit of his redeeming work and to follow in his way of looking to the interests of others more than ourselves. Through the same, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God uh, forever and ever. Amen. We stand and let us confess our faith with the creed in the bulletin. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made. Being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven, and was incarnate of the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead. In the life of the world to come. Amen. Her hymn is number 199 Sea Amid the Winter's Snow. collect our diaconal offering at this time if the ushers Pray with me the prayer printed in the bulletin.
1: Gracious and merciful Father, may these offerings glorify you and enrich the life
0: of others with the overflow of goodness and the cup of blessing which you have filled so bountifully for us. And with this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The scripture says, The Lord has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear Him. He remembers His covenant forever. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to His disciples. And He said, Take, eat, this is my body. And He took a cup and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So this is the Lord's table. This is not... We would say is not the church's table, it's the Lord's table. It's not the table that each of us have in our own homes. It's the Lord's table, it's a special table, it's a table that stands apart from all other tables in this world. And here our Lord invites us to feast with Him. Those who come to this holy meal promise to trust and love and obey Him as the Lord of every realm of life and to live in love and concern for each other. It is my privilege as Christ's minister to invite all those who have been baptized, who have publicly professed their faith in Jesus Christ, and are communicant members of a Christian church to come to this table. Communicant members is our way of saying um, those who belong to a church and have been, uh, their faith has been recognized and been baptized and they're identified with that Christian church. If that's not the case for you, we're glad you're here, but you should stay back from this table until such time that you're visibly united with Christ's body. By baptism profession of faith and being joined with his people his church as you accept this gracious invitation you confirm that you are trusting Jesus Christ alone as your Savior from sin you're endeavoring with all your heart to obey him and that you are seeking to live with love and concern for your fellow Christians with whom you'll be eating and drinking in a way if you want to think about this type of the sermon it's, it's uh, humility is built into this meal. Coming to the Lord's table, we cannot harbor grudges or unforgiveness towards each other. To do so, encourage the displeasure of the Lord. Coming, you affirm your love for one another in Christ and, of course, your love for Him. Join with me in giving thanks to God for His salvation and life for us in Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Us to Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. It is right to give Him thanks and praise. Heavenly Father, we do give Amen. you thanks for your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, who, though He was equal with you, became a man and lived among us as the servant of our salvation. He came to lead us in the way of true life, to suffer and die in order to free us from sin, to bear the cost of our sin, and to be raised into new life for us. He was obedient even to die on the cross so that we might pass from death to life. And so he is the beginning of your new creation. And all of heaven praises your great and glorious name. And we join in that song of heaven, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. We pray now that you would consecrate this bread and cup by your spirit so that we may be fed by our Lord Jesus Christ as we remember his death in faith. May our eating and drinking strengthen and refresh our communion with him. And we thank you that even as there is one bread and one cup, so the church is one. And together, with all your saints, we have been joined with Christ. We praise you and we glorify you forever, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom all good things come. And who has blessed us in the spirit, and to whom is all the honor, along with you, Almighty Father, now and forever. And together we say, Amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he also took the cup, saying, this cup is the cup of the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. All those who eat this bread shall live forever. And the life I give for the life of the world, the bread I give for the life of the world, is my flesh. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup and remember Christ's body and blood given for you. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. Lord, we give our gifts to you with thankfulness for the magnificent gift of Jesus Christ that you so generously gave to us. May we give to others with the same thankfulness in Jesus' name. Amen. Our final hymn is number 186. One there is above all others. It is sung to a different tune than the one you'll see on that uh, on that page, 186. to the steadfastness of Jesus Christ. And the blessing of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you all now and forever. Amen.
2: be seated. Let's take a moment to look at the insert in the bulletin to catch up on some uh, calendar items. First of all, we will be having um, our Christian education classes today both for the adults and the the older uh, young people. Um, That will be today. Um, We have in our bulletin an insert about the OPC Thank Offering. We will be collecting that on Sunday, November 19th. Um, this goes toward home missions, church planting, and so forth. It notes here that in 2023, it says you supported 31 mission works, four church planting interns, two evangelists, three prayer-supported works, and 10 regional home missionaries. So those are the sorts of things that this offering will go toward. We have our Thursday night Bible study, 7 o'clock here at the church on the development of the Christian canon, the women's prayer meeting uh, coming up Thursday, November 9th. And I think that is all I have, all I wanted to highlight this morning. Is there anything else? Very well. Let's enjoy some refreshment before our classes begin. You're dismissed.